Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. In this episode, I interview Ed Peisner and Mark Berkman. Ed is the founder and director of the Organization for Social Media Safety. His story starts with a tragedy that happened with his son a few years back, and that started him on a path of creating social media uh, safety and awareness uh, in California and across the United States. Mark Berkman teamed up with him. Mark has a decade of experience in public policy and, and management, serving as a senior advisor to the members of Congress and the California State Assembly. These two are a powerful team and have a lot of great information on social media safety and the direction that it's going. Ed's got a powerful story and I hope you get a lot from it and enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining. Okay, Ed and Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good to have you on this morning uh, from sunny sunny California, and here I am in, in the Utah cold, but uh, we'll, I'll, I'll get by. I'll, I'll manage to get through somehow. <laughs> so, uh, Ed, what, let's, yes. let's start with you. Um, tell, me, tell us about the background of, of Jordan's Law and the, the experience that kind of started this entire movement for you. Sure. So I'm going to get into the background of Jordan's story. Um, 2016, December of 2016, my son Jordan, 14 and a half years old at the time, was, had left school and walked over to a local restaurant to, you know, his daily thing on every Friday. He'd walk over with his friends and get some French fries and then they'd go over to the park and hang out. And he was attacked by a total stranger who came up behind him and decided for whatever reason to punch Jordan in the head, severely punch him in the head. And by doing so, they cracked his skull, ruptured his eardrum, and Jordan fell like a sack of potatoes to the ground and lay there unconscious for a few seconds while a bunch of people that were standing around videotaped it, actually videotaped it on the ground, but one in particular person stood back and videotaped the entire attack prior to it starting. She actually knew what was going to happen and had the phone out ready to, ready to record the attack. And as soon as Jordan fell and the attacker walked away, this person very quickly put it up on social media to share with her friends. So. That 10-second moment obviously changed my life. It changed everything I was doing in my life. And I received a phone call from one of Jordan's friends that said Jordan was, you know, someone punched Jordan. That's, that's the call I got. Someone punched Jordan. So I, of course, just grabbed an ice pack and drove down the street to the park thinking, I don't know, maybe there was a, uh, you know, he had a bloody nose or something happened. You know, I, I really didn't know what to expect. But when I got there, Ambulance, police cars, tons of people standing around. And what ensued was kids running up to me saying, look, look what happened to your son. And they're all showing me this video of this boy walking up to my son and just nearly killing him. You know, Jordan was airlifted to a hospital where he spent six days in the ICU with a epidural hematoma over 20 millimeters, 12 hours of brain bleeding going on. And everybody was sharing that moment with me over and over and over again. Ed, were they, were they sharing the girl's video that she'd posted online? Yep, or? yep, the girl's that, video. That. So she, 
that that, quickly. that that quickly. It took me from the phone call that I got to the drive was five to ten minutes. You know, I again, I I really didn't think much of it at the time. I grabbed an ice pack and I you know left. So this girl had shared that video. The other people standing around uh, were taking pictures of him on the ground, which again, this flurry of everybody grabbing their phones and everybody recording my worst moment to make it their best moment. Just, I, I was watching this almost as if it was in slow motion, but then I kept watching this video. And, and I, I actually remember asking some people, how do you have this? I don't understand. I, I was so confused. And that was, you know, the spark, if you will, that led to where we're at today, which, and, and I'll allow Mark to elaborate on our foundation and, and the law that passed. But what it was, was the spark, that, that moment in time, which is etched in my head forever. But sadly, it's also available for the entire world to see whenever they want. I think Mark mentioned the other day that it got to him, to his, he was currently working with our local assemblyman here, but I think it got to him in, in less than 20 minutes. And it's, it's not a, I mean, it's not a small punch. It's, it's violent. And it, it was a violent punch, enough to crack his skull. It made me sick to my stomach when I saw it. And the whole time, you know, after, after we met, we sat on the panel, you know, respectfully, right. I, I looked it up and, and, you know, not that I wanted to revisit your worst moment um, for, you know, for recreation, but because I knew you and it, it meant something to me, I, um, you know, it made me sick. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm going like, okay, this law passed and we'll talk about that in a minute, but how is this still up? I, well, again, one of the things I tell children when I speak to them at school, online is forever. It is forever. And it's this, as soon as you hit send or post or share, or whatever it is you're using, you're not, you, you release that to the universe. Again, two years later, you pulled it up and it probably didn't take you very long. And if you typed Jordan Peisner into Google, you probably got, got it pretty quickly. So can I ask a few details that I think just might be helpful um, for those that are listening that maybe aren't as technologically savvy? Um, what what platform, did she put it on YouTube? I'm not sure the platform that she used. It was on Snap. Oh, Snap. It was, it, she snapped it or whatever they did. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Snapchat. And did you, did you meet her? Was she there? Did, was there? No, she was I mean, not there at the time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It just would seem odd that she would be, but yeah, it, you know, um, how's Jordan doing now? Well, again, that, uh, that moment definitely, you know, it changed my life. Obviously it changed his both physically and emotionally. Uh, as far as the physical, you, you, you'll never have a clear release as the neurologist said, because you don't know the future of a brain injury. So there, he, he has his annual MRI and we keep an eye on things and he gets headaches. His hearing loss is permanent. So he's reduced, he has reduced hearing there. I'm equally concerned with his emotional status. Um, it, it changed him from this outgoing, vibrant, 
boy who would do drama and, and always be the lead in one of the shows and grab the mic and, you know, that, that wonderful spirited child to very quiet and sort of just, he's in his own little world right now. Uh, so, you know, I'm letting him maneuver that while he has a good therapist and a neurologist and, uh, you know, he's a, he's now a 16 and a half year old boy looking forward to getting his driver's license. So that's a, a big positive in his life. Good. So after all this, you sit down and say to yourself, I've, I've got to make a change. I've, I, I read somewhere that you said, I, I've got to turn a mess into a message. And I really like that. Correct. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So what, so what, what inspired Jordan's law? Where did you start? How did you, how did you get this going? Yeah, I don't even know where to begin on that. I, I will tell you that when we were at, uh, we were six days in the ICU at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and I reached out to some people I knew in the media, and they came out and they did some just interviews right there in the hospital. And that's what I kept saying. And I, I have to take my mess and turn it into a message because knowing that somebody recorded something for possibility of internet notoriety or social media fame, whatever you want to call it, sickened me. And I knew there was something I had to do. I just didn't know what to do. And I guess it was a godsend that, that Mark came my way. Because again, I'll, I'll let him talk about how we started this. I had my initial reaction was to start a nonprofit to somehow deal with what's going on today with the, you know, this is a, a one little piece of what's going on in this world. We see it all around us. We see this hate, violence, and anger. But with the kids doing it, I knew there was something that had to be done. And then I will, you know, Mark was really the driving force behind everything we're doing today. My, my story is my story. My, you know, what happened at Jordan's, it, we'll call it the impetus, but Mark is amazing. And I'm going to sort of refer, I mean, I'd turn over to him right now. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, like, like Ed said, we, um, I was working for the California State Assembly and a California State Assembly member at the time of this incident. And the video went viral. The video of, of Jordan's attack sadly went viral very quickly and landed in, in our offices. Several of us got the email. I want to say, yeah, within about an hour or two, the assembly member had also texted me with it. He was up in, in Sacramento at the time, so he also received it. And we were horrified to watch it. As you mentioned, Andrew, it was uh, just a vicious attack, nauseating. And the fact that it took place just a few miles from us kind of opens your eyes to, you know, what's going on with social media and, and kids right in your own backyard. So my, my instinct when I, as in my past life as a legislative staffer, you see something and immediately you go through the mental process of how can we get involved legislatively? Is there a legislative answer here? And that starts off a long brainstorming process and diligence. So we started that off, started talking about it within that first week or two. We met Ed not too long after. I want to say they were, they were, out of the ICU, when was it? It was like three to four weeks we, we might Yeah, I believe it was when I was doing, uh, I was speaking at a, a local temple, I believe. That was the yeah, first time we met. 
he was already turning the mess into a message. He was speaking at a local temple to, to youth, maybe three to four weeks after. And we shook hands. I said, we want to help. He said, I want to get involved. I want to help. And, and that was the start. So, so we launched from there. And we had our staff in the office start doing research on what we can do and specifically on kind of this epidemic of filming violent attacks. And we started charting out the progress of it. And we looked back and we found that in 2006, you could find, it was like two to three attacks. This was the, the birth of major social media in 2006. Uh, you could find about two to three attacks, what was then called the knockout game, where, where kids would uh, sneak up behind someone with the intent to knock them out, film it, get it on camera, and upload it online, uh, sadly, to get likes and views. And then from 2006, you very clearly saw those doubling every year till we got to, this was early 2017, where you got to thousands of these incidences and they were being hosted on their own websites, being viewed by millions. So this, I mean, it was a clear epidemic. There had been very minimal amounts of legislative intervention, actually no legislative intervention specifically on these incidences. And, and just to so, clarify, Mark, for those that are listening that maybe, maybe don't understand, views turn into dollars. You know, traffic is a way to make money on a website. And um, so we can assume, you know, or fill in the blanks here that these websites were making money at some point. This was a moneymaker for the people who were pushing it. Yeah, which is to think about. And that the attacks on these sites were, were horrific. There was a, around this time, there was a live stream of several young adults, essentially, or they were torturing a special needs teen yep. in Chicago. There were attacks on LGBT youth. There were attacks on the elderly. Uh, anyone perceived as vulnerable or different, you could find a horrific attack online on that group. So we drafted this legislation, which essentially makes clear that if you conspire to film a violent attack, you are part of the felony assault and you received an enhancement of a year. And so that bill passed very quickly for legislation, passed in less than a year. I don't think it had any dissent when it came to the floor of the California State Assembly and the California State Senate. It was signed into law by Governor Brown and became effective in 2018. Good work. That was fast. It was fast. It, it, when I was working in Congress, it took me, uh, or it took about four years to get a bill naming a courthouse signed. So... This, is, this was very fast to move legislation. Is this the first law of its kind? This is, this is the first law that we know of, at least, to target social media-motivated violence. Great. Um, and, and this is just kind of a more broad question, but what are, what are the more broad social media laws that are out there that have maybe been around for a while, just, to, just so I have an idea of like, what this step means you know, in, in terms of where we're going. So there's a lot of other laws that already exist that will cover social media 
related behaviors from fraud to trafficking to kind of child predation. So there's a number of laws already on the books. There are specific social media laws, at least in California now, on cyberbullying, cyber sexual bullying. So those are on the books. Now there's, there's laws in California and some other states on what's called revenge porn, where you take intimate photos or videos consensually, then something happens in the relationship and, and one of the people involved in taking those pictures or videos releases them without the other's consent. Originally that was completely legal in California. That is now illegal. Uh, and I believe it's, it can be a felony charge. Uh, I might be wrong on that, but I believe it can be a felony charge. So that, that impacts kids that we work with too, that are, that are doing those types of kind of video sharing without mm -hmm. consent. And certainly when you're sharing uh, uh, explicit pictures or videos of minors, that is either a misdemeanor or felony, depending on your age and how they choose to charge it. So, th I mean, those are the basics. We believe that there is a lot of room to beef up the legislative protections here when you're talking about social media related threats and dangers. We've really just scratched the surface. And also with a lot of the technology that's going to be in the hands of the mass public very soon, like deep fakes. And when virtual reality really gets merged with social media, there's gonna be a big need to, to legislate in some of these areas. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, I can imagine you can't legislate fast enough to keep up with the technology. Yeah, exactly. But, but the, the problem is when you legislate, you have to do it very carefully because there's a lot of trade-offs. There's a lot of effects that if you don't think about them, you're going to do something that you don't want to do or restrict behavior you don't want to restrict or encourage behavior that you don't want to encourage. So you have to do it very carefully, deliberately. You have to do it with a lot of uh, with all the stakeholders in the room and making sure that you listen to everyone's different area of expertise. So you do it right. And it becomes a very slow process. Yeah, I can imagine. So what is what you said, we're scratching the surface. Um, and there's obviously a lot of new technology coming for you guys. What is the next law that you're really wanting to go after? Deep fakes. We will be working on deep fakes. What, what is that? Deep fakes is the ability to take, your face essentially or ed's face or anyone's face and put it into an existing video and use artificial intelligence to make that video look completely realistic such that you can't tell that it's a fake video so the the implications on that run the gamut from severe existential threats you can imagine if someone took the president's face and said that he was announcing some sort of nuclear attack God knows the results there. Um, and that runs down the line on, on elected officials. You can have, if you want to target your local assembly members and have them doing something that'll cause a scandal for political reasons, people would be able to do that. Uh, then you get into the area of cyberbullying, where once kids have this technology mass available on their, on their smartphones where they can use it, God knows what they can do you know, to, to people they want to target and bully. And then fraudsters can use it to sell people things that 
get people to buy things that aren't actually legitimate products. So the, the effects of this are, are wide ranging and frightening. And we feel like it's priority number one for our organization to provide at least, you know, a parcel solution in the form of legislation and regulation. So through all this, you guys created Jordan's Law, you partnered up, you, you, you make a great team. And so tell me a little bit about the nonprofit. And that's the vehicle now, right? You've got quite a board and, and a lot of support and you're heading in a great direction. Sure. Um, so in terms of the organization, I'll let Ed talk about the education part, but in terms of the organization, when we were working on Jordan's Law, usually when you're doing legislation, you turn to subject matter experts because as a legislative staffer, you're a generalist and you rely on uh, the organizations and the people that are working on these issues day in and day out. And it became very clear to Ed and I that there was a huge gap here on social media, that there was no consumer protection organization explicitly focused on social media related dangers and threats. And that runs the gamut again from cyberbullying and the violence we have been talking about to trafficking hate speech, just talked briefly with the deepfakes on propaganda while we were doing this, the Russia propaganda efforts from the 2016 election were becoming very clear. So propaganda, privacy, the Cambridge Analytica scandal was blowing up at this time as well. And there was no single organization building expertise in social media that intended to protect consumers. So we saw a need and decided we had to step in and do what we could here. So we created essentially a consumer protection organization focused on social media with comprehensive programming, three main divisions, education, where we teach consumers, particularly uh, teens and their parents, how to use social media safely, what the dangers are and tips to protect themselves, uh, advocacy, that's where we go to Congress, state legislature, school boards, and propose legislation and regulation to protect social media consumers. And then technology development, where we worked to provide kind of real-time software and web-based applications to protect social media consumers. So it's, again, a comprehensive approach to keep everyone safe on social media. Ed could speak too, too. So right now, part of a major part of our programming is going into schools and actually face-to-face -face teaching high schoolers, middle schoolers, and their parents how to stay safe. So that's um, that's what Ed is is heading up. And that was how we met, right? We all sat on that panel, correct? One night in LA, and yep. you know, a room full of very concerned parents and young people and some and, kids, yeah, yeah, that that were there to listen to us who knows why us right no, <laughs> but uh you know talk about technology management and things like that and that you know you guys obviously it was a real honor to sit with you because of your experience and had a lot of good things to say and i guess ed this is where you kind of come in what are you saying to these high schoolers when junior high and elementary? To all the, all the children middle and high school um yeah. again Having just sat here and listening to Mark, you know why I, I'm blessed to have 
stumbled upon him. It, it, this wonderful <laughs> partnership because he is just amazing at what he does. So when he opened this all up and we started digging in and, and like he said, he started digging in at the dangers that are out there. It's not just one thing. There's so much going on. And these children, you know, they have access to all of it in their hands. So my goal is to go out and talk to kids at schools, at middle schools and high schools, which we've done now. I want to say we've spoken to, I don't even know the number, at least 10,000 children by now, multiple schools across states. And what do I say to them? The program is called Think Before You Click, which if you just listen to that, you know exactly what it's about. Think before you click, before you post, before you text, before you send anything or do anything. Think about the implications of that. I get to the schools. I tell Jordan's story and I'm very passionate about it and I'm not there to make them feel bad. I always tell them I'm not here to make you feel bad or sorry for me. I'm here to make you feel again because what I feel is missing right now is a level of compassion and empathy amongst our, our youth. They are living life filtered. Everything is through a smartphone. When I see kids walking, when I see them at restaurants, they we're all living in this filtered life right now. And I'm just trying to wake them up a little bit by sharing my story, by showing them some dangerous things, you know, sites, apps, things they should not be doing, by helping them understand that online is forever. Just like you said, Andrew, you, you know, two years later, you wanted to see this video that had happened to my son and, you know, you went up there and I'm sure within a matter of a few minutes, maybe seconds, who knows, you found it. So online is forever. I'm living that. And we try to teach them that. We try to make the, you know, I, when I get in with the kids and I, I walk around, I don't just lecture them. I, I get them involved. I stand up, I make them stand up with me. I we do some little uh, one-on-ones talking back and forth, helping them communicate again, helping them understand that, your words only make up 7% of what you're saying. It's all body language, eye contact, voice, tone, all the things that are missing today. And when I get to schools and I ask children, raise your hand if you've been bullied or cyber bullied. I'm telling you 70% of the hands in the auditoriums always go up. And raise your hand if you sent a text that was taken out of context. I, I would say 90% of the hands go up. So it's, it's those things that I'm trying to educate educate them. And we put together uh, hour-long PowerPoint presentation, gives them a lot of tips, goes over some laws that are available, not only Jordan's law, but laws as it pertains to sexting and, you know, what happens on school campuses, outside of school campuses, just things that they're unaware of, that they need to be made aware of. You know, a, a smartphone is a very powerful device. It's got more computing power than you know, all of NASA had back in the 70s. And our children have it in their hands with no instructions. Like Mark said, with no one, no oversight, no one's taking a comprehensive approach to monitoring it, to making sure it's safe. We would not give keys to a car to a child without teaching them the rules of the road, how to drive, because it's a very dangerous thing. We make them take lessons, we make them take tests, we make sure that they're ready to take that vehicle. But we hand them phones, and Mark did not, I don't think he mentioned this, you know, the suicide rate amongst teenagers has grown exponentially over the years, and it's, a lot of it comes from what's happening on social media. 
and the cyberbullying. So, and I and I pointed out to them and I asked them if they've been affected. And you'd be shocked, Andrew, if you see the amount of hands that go up for these children. What are some of the messages that you really find are connecting deeply with these young people? What are some of the things you're saying that eyes get big and, and you, you know, you're you're a dynamic, charismatic speaker and you know, I you know, there's there's a lot that we talked about that has stuck with me. Right. You know, you I think you remember I remember talking to me that you you get in their face, not aggressively, yeah. but you say, Tell me you hate me and you want to kill me. And yeah. tell me about that. It, it well, it's really interesting. I will ask kids to raise their hand if they want to volunteer. And I usually pick kids that are not, not raising their hands. Um, and I will ask them to stand a couple of feet apart from each other and stare at each other. Just stand there for 30 seconds to a minute just looking at each other before I even have them do anything because I want to get them in that uncomfortable zone because they don't really speak face-to-face -face anymore. They really do not. They communicate via Snapchat, texting, Instagram, comments on pictures. That's their world now. And I'm, that's the world they live in. And that's okay. We have to help them maneuver it and keep it safe. So I will have them stand up and read a text such as, I think you're ugly and fat and I hope you die and you should go kill yourself. Texts that I've, we've actually received from parents that they got off their kids' phones. And I'll ask them to read it to them, to standing there looking at the person and really convey you mean it to them. And they can't do it. You know, they feel very uncomfortable. One person said, I can't do that. Come on, give me a break. I said, why not? They said, I can't look at somebody and say that. And then I take my phone and I just move it down in front of their eyes. And obviously everything is much easier to say when you're not looking at somebody. And you could anonymously say anything you want to anybody at any time because you have a phone now. I could easily send you a text, Andrew, I hate you, I hope you die, while sitting here doing an interview. I hope you don't do that, Ed. I would never do that. <laughs> point, point is, anybody could do anything. There are no more safe zones like we had as kids where if somebody bullied you at school if you came home at least you had that safe home environment you could come home whatever happened at school stayed at school and you felt okay at home and mom or dad was there to help you but today something happens at school that follows you home because it's in your pocket there was a school an incident somebody shared with me at school at one of the schools i spoke at where something happened to a girl via social media and it was humiliating and to the point where she had to leave school and she went to a, she registered to another school 20 miles away for much further away from her house before she could even start the next day or the, whatever day it was she was starting in the new school the entire incident was there before she got there and that's how fast this travels so you know what messages get across to the children when I'm speaking, think before you click. Take 30 seconds before you post something. Remember that someone's on the other end of that. You don't know how they're feeling when you send them a text. They could have just gotten home and found out, and these are things I say, you know, they could have come home and found out that their dog died, or their grandmother's ill, or something happened to their father, and you just send them a text, and you don't know how they're feeling. But if you pick up the phone, say, hey, Andrew, how you doing? and you hear something in their voice, you have the ability to say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? So it's that, it's that lack that's missing today. 
that's what I try to convey to them. I try to get them to think before they click. I try to get them to realize that online is forever. And when I mean forever, I mean, as I say with my sexting comment, I tell them, the sex you send to your boyfriend or girlfriend is going to last longer than the relationship you're in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, because yeah. that will last forever. I can, I'll, and I just shared this with the group I spoke at last, uh, this past Monday, Mark and I were somewhere speaking. Jordan is now applying for some job. He wants to get a job for the summer and he's turning in applications and he turned an application in at a local restaurant, you know, fast food place. And he got a call back a few days later from the manager. The manager said, hi, Jordan, we'd like you to come in at whatever, three o'clock on Friday to, to speak with us. He said, oh, okay. And the manager said, by the way, Jordan, uh, we saw everything that happened to you and, and your video. And we just want to tell you, we're really looking forward to meeting you and everything you're doing and you've been through. And Jordan came to me and said, dad, they knew all about me. And I said, Jordan, what have I been telling everybody? The second you put in an application for a job, for college, for anything, they just go to Google. They Google your name. They want to make sure that you're the right fit. So I tell that to the high schoolers, for you kids graduating and going to college. They're going to Google your name. Audit your pages. Make sure that what's up there is appropriate. You know, this digital footprint, this digital shadow was going to be around forever. That's part of the stuff we talk about. What are some other tips that you give young people about managing their technology? There's, I think this is an area that, um, you know, to say to a young person, just get off of it, you know, it doesn't That's work, impossible. right? That's impossible. This is, this is the reality of the world that we're living in and Correct. moving forward. And um, I'm always interested in, you know, what, what people like you are talking about and some of the solutions that come up. So what, what other things do you tell these young people yeah. in terms of getting off the phone or managing their, their usage of it in face-to-face -face time, getting more of that healthy, uh, positive interaction that we know is good for humanity? Oh, yeah, it's good for humanity. It's good for their brain growth. We know now, and uh, there's so many articles, and, and Mark and I have been compiling them as we get them, about brain activity, brain growth, the changes in the, the synapses in your brain, all these things happening due to cell phone usage at young ages too. So to begin, I don't think anybody under the age of 13 should even be on social media. That's why we don't speak at elementary schools because quite frankly, even though we know kids are walking around with these thousand dollar iPhones that are under the age of 13, but I don't advocate for that. I think they should be off. I, I don't agree with that at all. That said, middle and high school students, we know that they're spending an average of five to seven hours a day on a screen. Typically, it's their, you know, it's their iPhones or cell phones or smartphones. But it's all about balance. Like you said, you're not going to just take a phone away from a child. That doesn't happen anymore. And, and there's repercussions. Now they're left out. Now they're the only one without a phone and they feel like they're missing out. And that's affecting them too negatively. They don't know what's going on. They, they, they feel insecure. So that's also something. I try to tell them about balance. You know, if you're going to be on the phone for five hours, get off every 30 minutes, take 10 minutes to take a break. Give yourself, give your brain a rest. Try to balance it out. Don't charge your phone next to your head at night in your bedroom. My daughter and my son, they leave their phone in the kitchen when we go to bed. It's a little thing to do, but it, I, I know it's helpful. My daughter falls asleep so much faster than if she had her phone in her room. So that's one thing. Obviously balance is another, get outside. I, the, the kids hear me say it all the time. 
be a child. You're still a child. Go outside, go play, go do sports, go play soccer, go play a basketball, go to the park. I try to tell the kids to start clubs at school called talk-ins where you could actually at lunchtime, go get a teacher to sponsor it and go talk, discuss your feeling. How do you feel? Are you okay? You having a good day? You having a bad day? How do you deal with what you're feeling? Maybe you did poorly on a test. Maybe someone called you a name. You don't know how to do it. Go talk. Talk to somebody because it's very important to talk. When I speak to parents, you know, I, of course, we share this. We also share tips about websites and other things that we don't share with the children because I don't want to give them any other ideas. But it's also it's not about taking the phone away from them because they're just going to find somebody else's phone to use. So if you just take the phone away from them, that doesn't work. You have to educate them. You have to tell them, you know, being glued into this phone is going to isolate you from people. I know smartphones or phones in general came out to help us communicate more, but I really truly believe it's done the absolute opposite. We feel like we're communicating, but we're not. You know, we used to go to the mall and walk around and be with friends, but now the mall basically is online. We yeah. used to get out of the house and go do things with kids, but everybody's doing things in these, uh, what do they call it? You know, Snapchat groups and group texts and where they feel actually like they're together. Right. But, but they're not. And that's where things are taken out of context because I, I could easily answer a, a text for somebody saying, I can't believe that. And I could mean, oh my God, I can't believe that. Or I can't believe that. And I've seen that happen a thousand times so it's those examples i share with them and i get them talking i ask them to give me examples i'm learning too this is new to me as it is to them so i'm always you know looking for information from the students well that's the thing too it's new to all the parents as well yeah and so parents are raising children but we don't have an experience to fall back on where oh when I was a kid on social media, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I've been saying to people too because we cover you know Ed in his presentation covers kind of the gamut with uh, the teens on all these social media related dangers from trafficking again to hate speech and propaganda, and I've been saying to people too for for parents who grew up you know in the '80s or the '70s. We grew up with stuff like red asphalt for uh, driver's education and anti-drug programs that were kind of fear-based and meant to ensure that kids acted safely or didn't do activities that they already knew were dangerous. What we find when Ed goes in there is that these kids are on social media and they don't realize 90% of these things are dangerous. So Ed has to go in there and say, here's this danger, and here's how to avoid it. And here's this danger, and here's how to avoid it. Because they just, they don't know, and the parents aren't, aren't aware because there's just so many of these dangers and threats out there right now. Exactly, right? And the, the parents, God, it has never been a harder time. I, you know, this is a pretty bold statement, but in the history of the world to be a parent, you know, with, We've, had, we've seen such significant change in technology that in my experience, and I know you guys agree, is, you know, sitting in a room full of parents, they're going, we have no idea how to manage this. And these are great parents, involved parents, 
you know, parents that are trying their best, you know, but it's like my sister said, she's like, okay, cool. Right. I, I manage and regulate my, my boys technology use. They go over to play at a friend's house and they come yep. back and, and I'm like, what'd you do? Yeah. We played Fortnite for four hours. Yep. So this is a community, this is a community issue, right? This isn't a, a strict parenting, like, okay, great. As a parent, you, you have your, your approach, but the kids walk out the door and it, it doesn't matter. Right. And so it's complicated. That's my message. When I start talking to groups and things like that and parents, I'm like, it's complicated. And, Very. and we're, I think we'll figure it out. I'm an optimist. Um, you know, the glass is half full for me. And so I think we're going to, we're going to figure it out, but we're just now getting to a point in a parenting sense where people are going, Oh my gosh, I need help. This isn't working. And you know, we'll get there. And that's where people like you play a huge role in educating and informing and, and legislating in such a way that, uh, you know, this new technology will hopefully be more positive than negative as time goes on, right? Absolutely. This is the start. You guys, thank you. I really appreciate your time. That was extremely informative and let's get the message out there and let's keep in touch. I look forward to, uh, working with you guys more. And if I'm out in uh, California, I'll definitely give you a ring and, and let's keep sharing ideas on how we can get this, uh, this message out there. I would love that, Andrew. Thank you so much for allowing us to be on, on your podcast and yeah, looking forward to meeting, you know, meeting you again, hanging out, maybe doing another panel somewhere. It was great. All right, cool. Thank you, Andrew. And I'd be a bad director if I didn't mention, uh, if you want to find out more about what we're doing, you can go to our website, which is at OFSMS.org. That's Organization for Social Media Safety. So it's OFSMS.org. You could sign up for our newsletter, get our monthly tips that, are, that we keep updated uh, and see what we're doing. Yeah, and for young people, I, I, I saw, you know, you're, you're creating boards for like high school age students, college age students. You know, if you want to get involved, uh, there's a lot of opportunities, it looks like. Yes, we have a student advisory council. Our whole organizational priority is to develop expertise in social media. So we wanted to hear from the, the teens that are actually using it and get their advice uh, and see, you know, detect these emerging threats before they become a massive problem. So we rely on them heavily. They also contribute to our newsletter once a month. There's a great article we have from one of our students that we're going to put in our February newsletter on, you know, the dangers of this influencer lifestyle and how some of these teens have decided they're going to become an influencer and drop everything else and just focus on that. So it's a, it's a great perspective we're getting from our students. Awesome. Thanks for the great work, you guys. See you soon. Absolutely. Thank you too. Take care, Andrew. Hey guys, thanks again for joining this episode of In the Trenches with me, your host, Andrew Taylor. If you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you would subscribe to my podcast. You can find me on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. So thanks for joining and hope to see you next time.